Thanks, Pastor Pat, for the opportunity to speak. I am Pastor Bob. I'm the youth and young adult pastor here at Greece Assembly, for those who don't know me. Um, And life is changing for me and my family. I have a son and a daughter. Silas is 11. Anna is nine, and they are like the greatest kids you could ever hope for. Like, honestly, they basically parent themselves at this point. Like, they, I just kick back and, like, sip on coffee while they kind of do all the work. And it's been so easy. We put a lot of work in at the front end. You know, like, they, they say zero through five is when everything's really established and solidified. And now we're just coasting, and there's two of them, and so they police each other. And, you know, we just... But there's another one coming now. We got nine years in between, and we've got, we're like less than a month away. August 20th, we're expecting our next little boy or girl. And as we get closer, we're so excited. I'm like, ah, I can't wait. You know, that little diaper butt again. You know, that like when you fall asleep on the couch and the baby's asleep on you on the get Like, it's the best. I can't wait for that. But as we get a little bit closer, it's occurring to me like, oh, wait. It's more than just cute pictures and diaper butt, isn't it? Like my favorite stage is like when they're like seven months and they start crawling and exploring and that little diaper butt's wiggling the whole time. Is there? And they're so excited to be seeing things. And I'm looking around our house like none of this is childproof. Like we're going to have to change absolutely everything. But more so... I'm going to be 40. Like, I don't have the energy that I had at 28 the last, the first time we were doing this. And I'm like, I'm remembering how much front end work has to go in where you're constantly, this is what you do. This is what you don't do. This is how you should behave. This is why this behavior is not acceptable. And not just what they should do. We don't just parent for behavior, but the reason behind it, this is why this is important. And I love parenting and I'm a natural teacher. And so that just kind of comes out in parenting. But I think it's also why I love the book of James. We're in the book of James. We're in a series called James Christianity that walks. And we're going to be in chapter two, verses one through 13 today. James chapter two, verses one through 13. If you're using the pew Bible, it's page 637. But what I love about James is James, he was the half-brother of Jesus, and he was writing this as a letter to the church, to the new believers. And James was one of the first books of the Bible that was written. It was one of the earliest letters that went out to the church, which means he was talking to a bunch of little babies in the faith. He was talking to a bunch of little kids in the faith. And so James is almost like dad advice for Christians. Like James almost is in a parenting thing. If you can't understand James, man, it's on you, not on James. He makes everything so clear. It's just, it's black or it's white. There's no gray areas. James just, just hits it real basic. The apostle Paul was so brilliant that some of his, I got to like reread what he just said, like two or three times. If I, wait, did I understand what I was just saying? But James is just do this. Don't do this. It is practical advice for young Christians. This is how you follow Jesus. And for those of you who are in the room today who are saying, man, I am a Christian. I have given myself to Jesus. I have said, Lord, you're not just my savior who who saved me from my sins, but you're my Lord. I want to follow you. Then the book of James is for you, whether you're a new Christian, whether you're a young Christian who's growing, or whether you've been doing it for 50 years, the book of James is still for you. Whether this is brand new and okay, I'll apply that, or this is revealed Yes, it's nice to get that refresher. The book of James is just very basic. 
here it is. And so where James starts off, he says this in verse one, he says, my brethren do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. He says, my brethren do not hold the faith. What James is talking about there when he says hold the faith, he's referring to both our identity as Christians and our responsibility as Christians. We identify as Christ followers, but because I'm a Christ follower, now there's certain things that are required of me. I need to hold the faith. If you're a Christian, this is for you first and foremost. What you are first and foremost is a Christian. I'm a Christian first. That's my identity. That's my calling. That's my citizenship. That's who I am. I'm everything else second. So I, Bob Gadula, am a Christian first. I'm a husband second. I'm not Pam's husband and a Christian. I am a Christian first and a father second. I'm not sighing on his dad and a Christian. I am not an American and I am a Christian first and everything else second. And we struggle with this sometimes because we get, we get tribal. We divide lines. We, we do this with race. We do this with culture. We do this with economic status. We do this, we do this with sports teams where we identify with this brand or with this group of people, all that. And what James is saying is, hey, you're holding the faith. Understand that your identity is first as a Christian and second as anything else that may be on that list. I know some people that are cancer survivors and they are a cancer survivor who's also a Christian, who's also a mother, who's also a... No, you are a Christian and you've survived cancer. Are we all on the same page here? What James is saying is that this is primary in your life. If you have said, Jesus, I'm with you, then everything else is second. If you have said, Jesus, I am with you, then everything else takes a back seat. James says, as we hold the faith, And he's reminding us of this. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians 5.20, where the apostle Paul says, we are therefore, because I am a Christian first and everything else second, Paul says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is someone who goes on behalf of this nation over to this nation. I remember, I'm a big Steelers fan, and I remember uh, several years back, I think it was 2008, 2009, President Obama Um, made Dan Rooney, the chairman, the president of the Steelers, the ambassador to Ireland. What that meant is that Dan Rooney acted on behalf of President Obama while he was in Ireland. What he said was what what President Obama wanted said. What he demonstrated was what President Obama wanted demonstrated. He was in a foreign land on behalf of his sovereign. That's what an ambassador is. It's somebody who goes from the land that they're from to represent that leader to a different place. What the Apostle Paul says about you and me as Christians, he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As an ambassador of Christ, we speak on behalf of God. We act on behalf of God, and we represent God as a representative of this foreign land. As a Christian, I might be an American, but I am first and foremost a citizen of of heaven, and I am here to demonstrate to this world, to this foreign land from heaven, this is who God is, which means everything I say and everything I do is monumentally important. It means that there's no such thing as small lapses in judgment. It means there's no such thing as a minor 
lapse in integrity. It means there's no such thing as small sins. The reason James is about to instruct us here is so we have our own idea of what is really important as we represent God to this world. Would you agree with me that that's a pretty big deal, representing God to this world? And here's the problem. That can be very subjective, We can look at what does God want for me and we can very quickly say, well, I probably shouldn't murder people, right? Like we're all on the same page. Everybody's in agreement here. Like don't go around killing people. Yes. Y'all are quiet this morning. Give me a little something back. Are we, yes. Like don't kill people. It concerns me that I said, should we not kill people? And you all sat there quietly. Should I be a little bit more nervous about this? We need to get security on the phone around here. We're all in agreement. There are some really big ones that are obvious. You shouldn't do this. Don't murder people. Don't kill people. You represent God, right? Don't steal things. You represent God. Don't lick ice cream in a grocery store and put it back on the shelf. You represent God. I don't understand what's happening with these young people, but I'm going to say y'all going to be judged. Y'all going to be judged. There are things that we think are big deals and things that we think are little deals, and it is very subjective. Some people would say, well, that's obviously a big deal to you, but it's not as big of a deal to me. And so James is saying, much like you would as a parent to a child, saying, no, pay attention. It's a huge deal because you're responsible for representing God. James is saying, here's one of those things that you as people in the early church maybe aren't paying attention to, so let me help you fix it. And we know James talks about a a lot of things. He talks about our prayer life. He talks about controlling our tongue. But what James talks about right here, he gives us the example about showing partiality. And he ties it in with what Jesus himself said when Jesus said, the most important thing is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You want to be an ambassador of me? First and foremost, it was in Matthew 22, 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And Jesus said, and the second commandment is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's why Greece assembly, loving God and loving people. Jesus said on these two things, all of the law and the prophets hang. And so James wanting to end subjectivity, wanting to make sure that it was concrete and understandable. He says, here's something that you are already doing in your churches that needs to stop. Now he's not coming down on them like, you're a terrible, you're going to hell. You know, what he's saying is guys, you're missing it. Pay attention. This is a huge deal. So here we go. James chapter two, verses two through nine. Stay with me. It's going to be up on the screen. For if there should come into your assembly, that means when you go to church and somebody walks in, there should be a man with gold rings and in fine apparel. You know, the only time I wear a tie is if I'm at church and usually only if I'm preaching. Here we go. If a man should come to you with gold rings and in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and you say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit over here on my footstool. Here, you can have the ottoman. He gets the good chair. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and 
heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. You know, I hear a lot of pastors that talk about like Jesus wanting you to be rich and healthy and happy. But when Jesus came to earth, he was part of a poor family. Jesus was homeless during his ministry time. Jesus was trusting in God's provision and the generosity of others. Why do I expect more? Why do I expect, that's another sermon for another day. He says, but you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself and do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So what is James saying about partiality? He's saying the rich are the problem. They're the ones that take advantage of us. We should occupy Wall Street and vote for Bernie, right? That's what, that's what James is saying right here. Like if we just get rid of the rich, that's right. No, that's not at all what James is saying right here. In fact, if you look at what James is saying, he's really talking about an attitude of the heart. He's saying anytime we show partiality based on what we can get from somebody. Oh, look at this guy. He's got them gold rings over here. Why don't you come sit in the good chair? Our tithe is about to jump up, y'all. If we just get this one over here, we can get that jet we were hoping for. You know, like if, if we're doing things with that sort of a motive, what can I get out of this? Man, we're wrong. Why? Because our actions are selfishly motivated. We're not loving God there. We're loving ourselves. We're not loving people there. We're not loving neighbors there. We're loving ourselves. Because our actions are selfishly molded, we're looking for what we can get or what will go well for us. You know, it'll be better for me in the long run if I take care of this person. And here's why this is huge. Actions with selfish motives misrepresent and dishonor God. If I'm his ambassador then my actions, no matter how small they might be, have to properly represent and honor God. Selfish actions prevent me from accurately doing that. In John 3.16, it said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God showed us that love gives. Love is selfless. Love looks out for others. So any action that I do that is selfish is not properly representing God to this world. And I'm not doing my job as an ambassador, which, by the way, is treason. Matthew 20, 28 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If God gave and God came to serve, if that's how God acts, then that's how I should act in representing him. If that's how God loves, then it's how I should love. If God loves selflessly, then I should love. If God gives selflessly, then I should give. If God is looking out for others, then I should. Yeah. And anything less than that 
is sin. Now, you may have heard that sin is an archery term, right? We've, we've talked about this in church before. If you've been coming for a while, you know that the word sin, it, it literally means to miss the mark. And so we brought up here a visual, right? I've got, I've got the bullseye. And so you've got, you've got the target right here. And the target is one thing, but beyond the target, we have a bullseye. Sin literally means to miss the mark. The mark is God's perfection, God's moral perfection, which means right here, that's the target. Like this whole thing's the target, but here's the mark. That means if I'm even a little bit outside of the target that I've missed and that I've sinned. And and to give you an illustration of that, if I'm standing here with a bow and arrow, and you should be grateful that I'm not standing here with a bow and arrow because I don't really do that. But if I'm standing here with a bow and arrow and I hit and I just miss, I hit the red, I'm disqualified, right? If I'm in competition and I hit the red instead of the blue in that bullseye, even though I only missed by inches, I'm completely disqualified. If I miss and I'm sitting here and I'm wobbly and I swing out and I shoot and poor Bob Ranaletta sitting here on the front pew takes one in the shoulder, I'm still disqualified. The ripples of that are different. The, the accountability and the, the justice system here on earth changes. But as far as the competition goes, there's absolutely no difference. Whether I hit the red or whether I hit Bob, I am disqualified either way. What, what this idea is, is if I miss anything I missed. Let's talk about that for a minute. I got myself a paint marker here and I got some glass so it'll be a little bit different. And I'm just really hoping that the marker worked. It did in my office earlier, but I'm a little nervous. And so let's talk about some of the ways that people miss. What are some of the big ones, right? We could put murder up here, right? Murder. Oh, you can't even see this. Can you, you can trust me that it's writing. All right. It says murder and barely, even if you could see it, you couldn't read it. It's the way that I write. It's terrible. I need to type everything, right? Let's see murder. What are some of the other big, big sins? And keep in mind, we've got a mixed audience here. So, so keep it, keep in mind as children in the room. So, so as we say sins, shout some out. What do we got? What do we got? What's that? Ooh, false wit. Lying. Somebody just said lying. I'm going to put lying right here. Lies plural, even though that's just a little one though. What else we got? What's the sin? Shout it out. Pride. Somebody said pride. Pride. I heard adultery. So here's pride. Here's adultery. Adultery, I guarantee is spelled wrong as well as being illegible. So I'm kind of glad now that you can't see it. I heard jealousy, jealousy. What else we got? Stealing. That's a, that's a good one. Stealing, what else we got? Gossip. Whoo! My students down in refuge, they'll tell you if there's one thing he won't tolerate, that's the one. Gossip. Gossip right there. Gossip destroys people. There's no room for it. What else we got? Come on. Y'all, coveting. There we go. Coveting. That's good. I'm just going to put that down as envy because I can spell something that only has four letters. There we go. Envy. What else we got? Greed. Love it. Kind of goes along those lines. Greed. Have I illustrated my point? Do I need to keep writing awkwardly? I'm just going to put one, one last one up here because we talked about it already. Selfishness. I'm really glad that you guys can't read that, but I promise you that it's there. We got a whole bunch of stuff here. Just to recap. We've got murder, we've got adultery, we've got lying, we've got lust, we've got theft, we've got envy, we've got jealousy, we've got gossip. 
we've got selfishness. I'm going to ask Bob Ranaletta if he would come up and take his place right here. I told you that I'm not an archer, uh, but I know someone who is. Can we give it up for Bob Ranaletta real quick? Thanks, Bobby, if you want to grab your stuff and start getting set. So here's the scoop. This is what the Bible's talking about with sin, right? And we look at the big ones. We look at, we say murder. Well, I've never done that, right? Like pride. Well, not more than anybody else, you know? And, and, and we start to, we start to put it on a sliding scale. We put it on a balance system, right? But if sin means missing the mark, even by a little bit, that's disqualification right there. I don't have to be a murderer to be disqualified. What we do, and we all do it, but what we do is we start taking our value system and we weigh it. And we say, well, what's important to me is what's most important. And so those are the ones that I'm going to stick to. And that might be important to you, but it's not important to me. Gang, that might be how things work today. That is not how God works. You're not being compared to me. It's amazing to me how many times in this discussion when we talk about are you a good person, are you a bad person, people almost always throw out the same reference. They say, well, you know, I'm not Hitler. Congratulations? Like, is that, is that what we're aiming for now? You know, I'm not the worst human that ever lived. Well, can we get this man a cookie? Like, like why is that? Why is that the thing that we look at? No, God says if you miss by even a tiny little bit, you missed. That's it. You're disqualified. How we looking, Bobby? Look at this guy, man. He's got the whole nine right here. So, Bob, I'm going to ask you to fire an arrow and uh, aim for the white and the blue and uh, not the wall, although we, Bob is also a carpenter, and so he can fix anything that goes wrong right here. And I'm just going to tell you, he does great work. And so Bob's going to do one for us. Here we go. And this is why Bob's shoot. Now, Bob's pretty good. Bob's pretty good. Bob, show, show him how you take another shot. All right, go ahead. We do, we do another one there. He's uh, don't aim this way. Oh, look at this guy. Here we go. Second shot. Right in the blue. Let's do a third one just to show that it's not a fluke. Just to show that Bob knows what he's doing. Here we go. Three times. Now you got to put it right in the bullseye or it's disqualification. Bob is. Give it up for Bob Ranaletta, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate you, bud. Bob put three right in the blue. But here's where the analogy breaks down. So Bob had to hit the blue or he's going to hell. I didn't say that ahead of time. It was pretty, I didn't want to put additional pressure on. There's already like 500 people watching him. But, but if we're talking about this in biblical terms, anytime you miss that mark, that's it. You're disqualified. Bob shot three arrows and put three arrows right in the blue. But here's where the analogy breaks down you and I got to shoot more than three arrows. This is where the problem comes in. Is Bob, I asked him to put three, but there's no fatigue in that. Bob knew, and Bob's Johnny on the spot over here. I just, I just asked him yesterday, and he was just ready to go with this. But Bob didn't have time to need to get hungry or get a snack or use the bathroom. Here's the thing. The moral perfection of God means never missing. 
Jesus said, you know, you have heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But he says, I tell you, if you even are angry in your heart towards someone, you've already committed murder. That means that the moral perfection that we're aiming for goes way beyond just the actions that I take. It goes down to a heart issue, to a mind issue. That means that every single one of my thoughts needs to perfectly measure up to God. I Googled it, and according to Google, how's that for a reference point? But there were like a lot of things on there. And so it it would seem that this is at least in the ballpark. So I'll go low end. According to Google, we have on average 60,000 thoughts per day. 60,000. That's 60,000 times in one day that you have to hit that bullseye. That's 60,000 times. Every thought, every motivation, every action is being weighed. 60,000 times thoughts per day, not one of them can miss. Bob, your odds are going down. Like, I think you're good, but you're running out of room on the bullseye right there. Multiply that, do the math. That's more than 20 million thoughts a year times how many years? Are you going to hit the bullseye with every one of them? Even if we erased everything that you've done previously and said, okay, you didn't even know the rules starting off. And so we'll, we'll be gracious and we'll, you going to make it, are you even going to make it out of this building? (laughs) Sister Sharp said, no, (laughs) I don't know if she was talking about her or you or me, but either way, she's right. We ain't going to make it. We ain't going to make it. 60,000 times a day we're being held to this standard. Gang, not a single one of us can do it. Not even one. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you might think to yourself, so everyone has sinned. We're, We're all a little selfish sometimes, right? But big picture, most of my arrows hit. Right, And so there's some of you, you know how I said at the beginning of this that I'm talking mainly to the young Christians, to the growing Christians, to the mature Christians. Maybe there are some of you that are here today and you're listening to what I'm saying and and you're new to this whole Jesus thing. Church isn't a place where you find yourself regularly. We are so glad that you're here with us today. But this part is for you. Because most of us think, and Christians don't get too comfortable because it's for you too. Most of us start to get this mindset of most of my arrows hit. And when I stand before God someday, even if out of 60,000, you know, 59,000 of them hit, that's a pretty good percentage. Not if you're flying. (laughs) That percentage of them lands. Like, well, I'll be walking then. Thank you very much. My car is much safer than that. You might think I'm going to be able to discuss this with God. I've never murdered anyone. I don't cheat on my wife. I'm honest with my taxes. And I do lots of good things, too. We're not even talking here yet. We haven't even weighed in the good things that we do, Pastor Bob. Not just the few small bad ones. See, James anticipated that would be what we would think. And so here's what he said to us. In verses 10 and 11 of chapter 2, James said, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in even one point, even one arrow, If you keep everything, 60,000 a day for your entire life, but you miss once by a half an inch, you've broken the whole law. 
He says, he's guilty of all. For he who said, and here's the reason behind this, because it's not about what you do. It's about the one who made the law. It's about God himself who is morally perfect, who is so pure that anything short of perfection can't be where he is. He said, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, this is an important thing to understand. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. I don't know why James went with such a big one right there. But what you could say is maybe you don't commit adultery and maybe you don't murder, but maybe you're prideful. Maybe you told a lie. Maybe you struggle with envy. Then you've broken the whole law. You never murdered somebody, even if you could make it without ever being angry enough where it counts as murder against somebody in God's thing. It doesn't matter. There's not a billion laws that you need to keep. There's one law, God's moral perfection. So we've all missed. So Bob, I'd like you to still hit the bullseye, but this time I'd like you to pick just one of the sins on there. In fact, don't even necessarily worry about the bullseye if you can't hit it, but just pick one of the sins. We got lies in the middle there. We got pride in the top corner, murder. Just hit the target. We'll make it easier for you. Anything in the target there, just hit one of those, but only pick one sin to shoot it through on our, on our little glass thing there that has all of those sins lifted on, listed on it. <clears throat> Bob said, I guess I got all of them. (laughs) Thank you, Bob. Can you guys give it up for Bob for me? We'll clean that up later. Do you understand the illustration? Well, I've never murdered anyone. There's your argument. Is that going to hold up? Well, I've never committed adultery. I've never cheated on my wife. Does it hold up? Gang, if there's one thing I want you to take away from today, Christian ambassadors, people who who haven't yet decided to walk with Jesus as your personal savior, there is no such thing as little sins. Let me say that again. There is no such thing as little sins. Gang, there is no such thing as little sins. Would you say it with me once? There is no such thing as little sins. Say it with me again. I want it to sink in. There is no such thing as little sins. Every one of us has fallen short. Every single one of us, we look like that glass right now. Every single one of us, our entire construct of how good I think I am, it doesn't hold up compared to God. Where does that leave me? Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. People don't like to hear about hell. People don't like to talk about hell. Hell was never created for people. It was created for the devil and his angels, the demons. But we, trying to stand on our own, trying to say, I've got enough on my own, we've rebelled against God. We've missed the mark. And you can't, you're an eternal being. This body is just a shell, but man, there is an eternal part of you that's going to live forever. We were here at Gertie Warren's funeral service or memorial service yesterday. And Bobby, that was just, 
oh, our prayers are with you. But man, was that a beautiful celebration of Gertie's life. We had the band. They were hopping. We were praising the Lord because Gertie was, man, could that, that woman praise? But then family member after family member, person after person that got up, all they talked about about Aunt Gertie was how she reflected Jesus as an ambassador of Christ. Her entire life, as, as much as she was wife and sister and mother and aunt and all of the wonderful things about her, the overriding theme of her life, she loved Jesus. She followed Jesus. If you're wondering why are these people so weird and so passionate about Jesus, this is why. Because God can't change who he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. They say the only thing God can't do other than sin is change. He's constant. And so he can't change what the construct is just because I've missed the mark. God can't change what the requirements are just because I've fallen a little bit short. And so he sent someone. So he sent someone. That's why we love Jesus so much because I can't get there on my own. But Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How can a loving God send someone to hell? Well, let me explain it to you in very clear terms. He doesn't. He sent Jesus, the only one who 60,000 times a day, his arrow hit the mark. 20 million times a year for 33 and a half years without failing even once. Romans tells us that the wages of sin, what we earn with sin is death, is eternal separation from God. What we deserve, wages is a paycheck. People don't just give those to you. You have to go and earn them. What we've earned with our sin is separation from God eternally. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. I'm not better than you just because my sins are different from you. You're not better than anyone else just because your sins are different from theirs. We've all failed. Our construct of how good we are, maybe that holds up in your neighborhood, but when you breathe that last breath, who are you gonna argue about that with when you're standing before the almighty, eternal one? It all shatters. If you're staking eternity on the fact that you're a pretty good person, it's all going to come crashing down when you stand before God. The Bible says it's appointed man wants to die. And after that, the judgment. You need a savior. I need a savior. Jesus is that savior. And here's what's so wonderful about him. The book of Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, for we do not have a high priest. We do not have a God, Jesus, who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He understands. It says, but he was in all points tempted just like us, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need.
60,000 times a day, 20 million times a year for 33 and a half years. And his arrow never once missed. But he took the penalty anyway for you, for me. That's why we're wild about Jesus. That's why we get excited when we start singing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Because we remember what we deserve. And we remember what Jesus did to save it from us. I didn't earn that. I earned that. But God. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart, you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. God who cannot lie tells us through the Bible in John, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That glass, he removes it completely so that now the arrow goes straight through. He shot that arrow so that I'm not held accountable for that anymore. I ask everybody, heads bowed and eyes closed, just for a moment. It would be so wrong before God for me to preach this and to not give you an opportunity to get things right with him. That glass didn't just break, it exploded. And it's nothing compared to what our construct of how good we are will do when we stand before God. If this morning you're in this room and you say, Pastor Bob, I don't follow Jesus that way. I don't know Jesus that way. And I have been relying on the fact that I'm a pretty good person and that they're just little sins. There's no such thing as little sins. They're all connected. But I want to get that right. I want to know Jesus in this way. I want to rely on what Jesus did rather than what I've done. Would you raise your hand real quick for me? And you could put it right there. I see you. I see you. I'm going to ask you to do this. You could put your hands down. I see those. Thank you. Thank you. If that's you today, I'm going to ask that after the service, not right now, but after the service, I'm going to be hanging out up here at the front pew right after the service. Would you just come up and talk to myself or to one of the pastors? Man, we want to pray with you. We want to walk with you. We have a Bible that we want to give you. We're not going to embarrass you in front of anybody. Man, we're excited that you want to get things right. There is nothing I love more than Jesus, and so there is nothing I want more than to see Jesus get what he paid for when he died for you. I am excited that your hands just went up. Come see me right after the service, all right? You can all open your eyes now. I forgot to tell you that. We're done with that portion. Here's the second side of that. Those of us who've been coming to church for a while, you might already know all of these things. But man, do we lose sight. Church, it's not just in the confines of salvation that we say there's no such thing as little sins. There's no such thing as a small compromise. I am an ambassador of Jesus. You are an ambassador of Jesus. That means those little sins is treason. We can't do it. We can't do it. 
It is my responsibility. It is your responsibility to represent this loving, gracious God who is unmoving to a world that needs him. I want to ask you today, you don't need to raise your hands because it's most of us. Am I settling for being a lousy ambassador? Am I so consumed with what's important to me at this point in my life, at this point in my walk, that I'm perfectly content leaving these things go? You're destroying your witness. Just like James said to that church, stop showing partiality because what you're doing is you're ruining your witness. You're not loving your neighbor. Therefore, you're not representing God properly. I'm not okay with failing at this mission. Are you? When I stand before God, I can't wait to hear the words. Well done, good and faithful servant. He concludes with this in verse 12 and 13. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. We're not under that anymore. Man, I am free from those shackles. I'm not tethered down anymore to having to be perfect all the time. Jesus did that for me. But I should live with that sort of excitement and appreciation for what Jesus has done. That it's not an effort for Christian to be the primary thing in my life and that everything else is second. It should be the natural outflowing of my walk and my relationship with Jesus based in gratitude. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. I'm so glad that God's mercy triumphs over judgment that I'm saved by Jesus. Now by design, I finished early because I wanna take some time and praise Jesus as a church family. I wanna take some time and from a grateful heart and for a heart of thanksgiving for God, what you've done for us. I want us to sing that last song that we did before again. Oh, praise the name, start to finish. And I just want a minute to breathe and to praise the name of the one who saved me, the one who removed my guilt. Even though I broke every single law, he said, I love you and I came for you anyway. Can we stand and can we worship the Lord together before Pastor Pat comes to close us out?